0: Alright, would you pray with me? Father, we are, we are your children waiting for a word from you. We pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to us now through your word, through the preaching of your word, and that everything that is said this morning would be from you and would be for us. I pray that our hearts would be open. I pray that we would hear your voice and respond positively, embracing your will, rejoicing in what you've done for us in Christ. And on this resurrection day, Lord, we are happy in you. We are happy that we could be together with our brothers and our sisters and celebrate and rejoice that we too have risen with Christ, that we are new in Christ. Lord, I pray for your Spirit to work deep in our hearts. Tell us what we need to hear, each one of us, from you. And open our hearts to accept it, to embrace it by faith, so that our lives would be changed. We do pray for a dramatic transformation. We pray that those of us who are maybe hearing about Christ for the first time would fall in love with him and follow him. Those of us that maybe have been walking away from him would return. Those of us that are walking with Him and are struggling in our walk, that we would be encouraged to continue. We pray more than anything that He would give us joy, resurrection joy, in Your presence this morning. Pray all these name in Jesus name, all these things in Jesus name. Amen. All right, what I want to talk about today is identity. Talk about identity. We live in a culture that prizes authenticity. I feel like anywhere I turn, I am encouraged to be true to myself, to stop pretending, to follow my heart, to become what I want to be, to accept others as they are. That is a clear cultural message. I'm not being negative about it. I'm just stating the fact that this is what's happening around us. Authenticity is important to us in our culture today. But as we think about authenticity, we have to be asking some questions. There are certain questions that have to be answered. For example, who am I? If I were to follow me and be consistent with myself, who am I? better figure out who I am if I am to live an authentic life. How do I know my true self? How can I know who I really am? Because there are so many conflicting identities in our lives. So how can I know who I really am? What defines me? Think about all the factors in your life that that, that seek to, to shape you and to define who you are. Which one is the more important one? What should I listen to? What influence should I accept? Can I trust my heart? If I am to follow my heart, can I trust my heart? And some of you are saying, there's no way I can trust my heart. My heart got me into so many things in life, so much trouble, I can't trust it. And others are saying, yes, I can. It's my heart. It's who I am. It leads me where I need to go. Is there such a thing as change? What if I am not who I should be? Should I change to become something else? Or should I still remain as I am. Now that is the, the central existential struggle, isn't it? Trying to figure out who you are, trying to figure out how to live in accordance with who you are, that's what we're all dealing with. For many of us, that, that's life, that's the point, of, that's the central question, to discover my identity and to live consistently with it. And so this is why I'm, I'm so excited to be dealing with that, because I feel like this applies to absolutely everyone. So let me put my cards on the table tell you where I'm going with all this and then hopefully convince you to follow me there. It is my conviction that our true identity, that our real identity, our true self is found in the risen Christ. It is my conviction, I believe that, that our true self, our real identity, our, our deep identity, who we really are, can only be found in the risen Christ. We cannot live a truly authentic life Now, I mean life consistent with our true identity, without knowing and following Jesus. Now, by the way, this is exactly what we're about at Chatham. If you're new to Chatham, this is what we strive to do. We want to grow in our identity in Christ and follow him and be a disciple of Jesus. That's a biblical word for follower of Jesus, somebody who's in a relationship with him. And we want to teach and help others grow in Him and help each other grow in Christ and follow him with all our lives. because we are convinced that the underlying foundation, because we're convinced that that pursuit, the pursuit of Christ is the most important pursuit in anyone's life. So I'd like to to reason with you and if if you are hesitant, I'd like to convince you hopefully that what I'm saying is true. So would you please open your Bibles? to Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, which is found on page 984, 984, it says 990, maybe I have the wrong Bible. In your pew Bibles, if you don't have a Bible of your own, please take one of ours, take it home, we'd love for you to have one at home. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Let me read it and you can follow along. This is Apostle Paul writing to the church in Colossae. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. then you will also appear with him in glory. Now pay attention to the tenses here. There there are three tenses here. First, there is something that has already happened. Right? He begins, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ. That happened. He's talking to people who have been raised with Christ. In other words, they have already been given an identity in the resurrection of Jesus. When he rose again, our identity changed. And so now we are new in Christ. We have a different identity in Christ. Secondly, there's something that is happening now. So something that already happened, we've been raised with Christ. And something that is happening right now, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life now is hidden in Christ with God. And then finally, there's the future tense here. There's something that will happen. When Christ, who is your life, appears... This is talking about His return that is yet to happen. Then you also will appear with Him in glory. Our identity that was given to us at resurrection, we've been raised with Christ, and is now lived out in the present tense. It's hidden, so it's kind of cryptic. It's kind of somewhere, and we're living it out. Finally, at the second coming, it will be completely and publicly revealed to everybody. So there's an identity that's been given to us, Now we're living it out, kind of quietly in some ways, and then when Jesus comes back, there'll be a public declaration that we are who we are in Christ. Now we live in that in-between time, between the resurrection of Jesus and our resurrection that is yet to come when Christ returns. This is the already-not-yet time. The resurrection of Christ already happened, and we have been given a new identity, new life, New hope, this is who we are already. But one day when He returns, all the benefits of this new identity will be fully realized. Now we have them already, but they haven't been fully expressed. That will happen when Jesus returns, and so we will rise with Him and live in His eternal kingdom. That is when our lives will be completely authentic because there will be no barriers to our living out of our identity identity that's given to us we're trying to live it out now and then when Jesus returns finally we will be able to fully live it out now then we will say my life is completely authentic but now we live in the in-between time it's not public yet not to all creation it's not public yet some people know but it's real for us to live authentically today we must learn how to live out this identity. Now, let me give you an illustration before we get into the text. Somewhere in my Facebook feed, uh, and you're saying, Pastor wants more followers. Sure, I'll accept that. If you want to follow me on Facebook, that's okay. Um, somewhere deep on my Facebook feed, you have to do a lot of work to get to this one picture. There's a picture of, of myself and my wife, Jillian, uh, myself, uh, quite a bit younger, and my wife, miraculously unchanged, uh, <laughs> we're standing in front of a Ukrainian courthouse with a piece of paper just just torn out of a notebook in a ballpoint pen. It, it says on it, "She's ours. She's ours." Now, we were referring to a judgment that was made in that courtroom minutes before we took that picture. That our daughter, our adopted daughter, was finally legally part of our family. It's a very exciting day for us, About eight years ago that happened. I remember the day. You know, we're dressed up, went to court, and you sit there and you answer questions, and the judge finally says, it's legally happening now, the judge finally says, she is yours. She now is part of your family. She is legally now your daughter. You have adopted Evangeline. Now, that was the moment when Evangeline's identity legally changed. Now, she became our daughter. She got a new name. The paperwork was filled out right there. She, she became part of our family, right? In time, she was going to get new citizenship because we were going to live here in the States and not in Ukraine. Everything changed in that moment. A whole new life was given to her. But if you go in, on my Facebook Again, please follow me on Facebook. If you go on my Facebook <laughs> deep into my feed and you pull out that picture, you will see that Evangeline is not in that picture. She's not with us. We, we have a sign that says she's ours, but she's not actually with us. Now, where where was she? She was at the orphanage. She was waiting for us. Her identity changed. Her circumstances apparently didn't change. She still responded to her old name. She still had hired staff caring for her, right? Everything was the same. She was where she has been for two and a half years. And now, this new identity was going to catch up to her life. Now, in fact, it took some time for that to happen. Uh, I think there was four more weeks of paperwork and waiting on other things to get, to get figured out, a lot of paperwork. Uh, there was. We needed to get a visa for her. We needed to do a medical for her. Uh, we needed to get plane tickets for her her passport all of that stuff was was happening as a result of that that judgment of the judge on that day where we posted the picture she is ours it took about 4 weeks for her to finally be ours and for her it took much longer to finally feel like she belongs in our family now if you if you've gone through an adoption whether you are adopted or you've adopted someone else you know that that legal change doesn't fix everything right away. It takes time. There are other things that need to happen. You need to catch up to that legal identity. And so it took Evangeline a long time to start finally feeling at home with us, to start feeling like she belongs, that she can trust us, that we're not going to abandon her, that we're going to be with her, that she can be part of our family and feel secure in that. Now, this is what's happening with us. There are different tenses, the Lord saves us. In His resurrection, there's a proclamation that, that we are His. If you're a believer, you're His. And yet the change of legal identity, its you still need time for that to catch up. You may not know that happened. Your life may not reflect that it happened. And so you're in between time until finally the Lord comes and He takes full ownership of you, full control of your life, and that happens at His return. So I'm going to try to examine those three tenses. I'm mostly going to focus on the in-between stage because that's where all of us are. And I'd like us to kind of work through what it means to live out of that new identity through Christ's resurrection. So my outline is pretty simple today. We're going to talk about identity given to us, number two, identity revealed, and number three, identity hidden. So identity given at the resurrection, identity revealed at the return of Christ, And in between, identity hidden and lived out. So past, future, and present is where we're going today. All right, so past, identity given to us at the resurrection. Our text says, you have died, past tense, and you have been raised with Christ. So it ties our identity to the death and resurrection of Jesus. When he died... It's as if we died with him. When he rose, it's as if we were raised with him. Meaning that we became someone new through Christ's death and resurrection. Now, you may ask, this, this is important for me to clarify, you may ask, but well, why do we need to become new? Why do we need a new identity? What's wrong with my old identity? Why are you Christians, you're always talking about change. Why are you pushing me to become someone else? That's a legitimate question. Here's the answer. Because we believe that that new identity in Christ is in fact not a new identity, but a restored identity. We believe from Scripture that when you come to Christ, you become whom God had imagined you to be. You see, you were made a certain way, and now when you come to Christ, that that real identity, that deep identity based on how God made you, is now restored in Christ, is allowed to flourish, is allowed to take place, root this this change so radical the scripture calls a new birth it's a complete change we believe that outside of christ inside of that change you cannot really be your true self that a real self given by god this this the way that god made us needs to be restored because it was lost and it can only be recovered through christ now i love the way malcolm muggeridge says this malcolm muggeridge you may know he was a Famous journalist in the twentieth century, he's 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 passed on now. He's this restless soul that that tried out so many worldviews, so so many adventures that he had in his life, he was at one point a spy during World War II, lived in, in Moscow, tried communism, all those things, and finally he found rest in Christ. And this is how he describes his conversion, the that radical change when your identity is when you're given a new identity in Christ. He says, a sense of homecoming of picking up the threads of a lost life, of responding to a bell that had long been ringing, of taking a place at a table that had long been vacant. See, he's not describing it in terms of something new happened. I was that person, and I tried to be that person, and now I'm a Christian. No, no. He's saying my true identity has been restored. It's like I've been called Home. And I've been resisting that call, but finally I've I've come home. I'm at the table where I belong. This bell has been ringing, and now I answer that call. And all the the threads of my life, all of that that was happening, now they're tied together, they come together, and I am who I am supposed to be. Now, this change, it's, it's a radical change, but it's a restoration. It's going back to what God made you become. Now, in Scripture... In the Bible, you find this phrase, made in God's image, that explains our identity. When God made us, He made us to reflect Him. He made us to be in a relationship with Him. He made us to be a worshiper of Him. He made us to be a ruler over all creation. That's who we are. All human beings are made that way. But we lost it. We lost that identity. And we lost it by trying to pursue other identities. We try to find that relationship, that fulfillment, uh, that, that rewarding feeling, that final validation. We try to look for it in other relationships outside of God, in our accomplishments, in our sexuality, in whatever it is that you define yourself by. God says that those are false identities. You have lost your true identity and it has to be restored in Christ. That's not who we really are. We're made in God's image. That's who we are. That's our true self. And it has to be restored in Christ. Now, what did Jesus do to restore that? Jesus was sent by God, his only son, God of God, very God of very God, and yet also become an authentically human. He came to restore our relationship with God. And he came to restore our real identity, our true self, as made in God's image. Jesus died to cover our rejection of God. He says, you've been rejecting God, but I'm here to cover that, to take care of that. So it's not working against you anymore. And he rose to make us accepted with God. When Jesus rose, we rise with him, and so we're given this new identity that is acceptable to God. Not all those fake identities that we've pursued, but the true identity that's given through Christ, and that is what's acceptable to God by grace. So when you think about the cross, the cross is God's declaration that all our false identities built in our pursuit of anything other than God result in death. That's the picture. When Jesus dies, he says, look, where your search for identity leads if you do this outside of God. Look, it's death, it's destruction, it's hopelessness. But His resurrection is God's declaration that in spite of our rejection of Him, we are welcome to return and be fully accepted with Him once again. There is future and hope with God. We can regain our real self through Christ, specifically through His resurrection. Now, we die with him, so our guilt is, is taken care of. But we rise with him into a new relationship, into a new life with God, based on a new identity that is now accepted with God. This is what God has done for us. He sends Jesus to say, I'm going to give you a new ad- I'm going to, identity. I'm going to restore you to who you really are, who I know you've always been. And so the question is for us, how do we respond to that? If God did that, if it's true that Jesus came to die and rise so that I can be a new person, regain that identity and be renewed like a second birth to be in a relationship with God again, how do we respond to that? There really are just two ways. It's yes or no. One is to reject Christ and continue in constructing our identity on our achievements or... Or on our other people's praise or criticism, or whatever we decide makes me me. The second response is to accept Christ and build our identity on what He has accomplished on our behalf, on God's acceptance of us by grace, and let God reshape our identity. Now, where are you at? Let me be direct. Where are you at? Are you trying to build your identity outside of Christ? Or have you accepted Christ and said, this this is my true self. The bell has been ringing. That place at the table has been vacant. The threads of my life need to be pulled together. And now it's happened. Because in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, an identity-shifting event happened. And I see it as such. And I place my trust in Him and I say, this is it, this is my true self. I can now finally have a hope of living an authentic life. Have you died with Christ to your futile efforts of self-definition? And have you risen with Christ to a new relationship with God? Now, that's the past. Something happened, and we may accept it or reject it, but something already happened, and that defines who we are if we accept it. Now, there's the future identity that is to be revealed. Just as we can claim that we have been raised with Christ, we can also claim that we will rise with Him. Paul says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. 2 Timothy 2 says, the saying is trustworthy. Paul is saying, pay attention to This, this is real, this is truth. If you have died with Him, we will also live with him. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. One day, let me be very plain about this, one day Jesus will return. He will come again, and we will rise with him. We will rise, and the whole creation, finally, will acknowledge that we belong to God. What a day. When everybody... And everything around us would say they are God's people. They do belong to Him. They are new creations. They will reign with Him forever. That they are loved by Him. They are sons and daughters of God. Made in His image, purchased with the blood of the Lamb. Filled with His Spirit, full of glory. Whole creation will declare that that is True. There will be a public proclamation when Jesus returns that you are who you thought you were. Final validation, final salvation, that we will be acknowledged by everybody and everything in creation that we belong to him. Let me give you an inferior illustration. It's inferior because there's no illustration that matches the truth of Christ's return. I've been here at Chatham for almost two years, and when, when I went through the interview process, there was one question that I got asked more than any other question, and that is, if you move here, what sports team would you be rooting for? <laughs> Subtle hints were given to me, like, here's a piece of clothing with a Cardinals logo. Might, might want to wear that. I was taken to games, that's after we, we came. Herm actually took me to a game, just to, you know, as a way to hang out with me, but I know the truth. So, that, that was so important, right? Because that defines being part of this community, doesn't it? If you're here, you root for the Cardinals. You accept, I accept, let me publicly acknowledge this, I accept my new identity here. I am a Cardinals fan. Yesterday, if you ran into me as running errands, I wore a shirt and a hat with a Cardinal logo. Double. Now, I've embraced that, because I knew that this is my community now, this is my church, this is where I belong now, so that's part of my identity now. And so when the Cardinals win their next World Series. I don't know if it's going to happen this year. I'm sorry to agree with that. But but when they win, I will be part of this crowd, right? Part of the people of St. Louis rejoicing at yet another World Series. Then there will be a public declaration, right? He really is a Cardinals fan, right? He really does believe That's his new identity. For now, I wait, right? I I wear the logo, I I watch the games, I go to the games. But unless they win, right, there's not going to be that that final celebration, that final rejoicing that, yes, this is my identity, and now it's fully realized. Now all the benefits are here of rooting for the cardinals. When Jesus comes in glory, this is where that, that illustration is so inferior because you're talking about the Son of God returning. When Jesus comes in glory, there's that that final public declaration that it was worth it, right? You are who you are. You belong to him. And the whole creation will proclaim that these are God's people. These are the sons and daughters of the king. But until then, we live in the in-between. Our identity has been changed by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it will be declared publicly where everybody will know what it is. But until then, Paul says it's hidden in God. It's hidden with Christ in God. There's a place where where it's kind of kept cryptic. Not everybody knows. And so we are to live it out. We're to expose that. We're to work it out in our lives as we wait for His return. So let's talk finally about this in-between time, our hidden identity being worked out. What does it look like? We'll look at our text again. In verse 4, it's interesting, Paul says, almost kind of in passing, he says, Christ, who is your life, will appear, right? Christ, who is your life? Now, he says it almost in passing because everything he's been saying leads to that. Of course, he is our life. If he did that, of course, he is my life. If he died for me, if he rose for me, if he shifted my identity, if He restored me to who I really am in God, then of course He is my life. What other response is expected? He is everything to me. If He did that, everything that I am is now rooted in Him. He is my life. We live for Him. We live with Him. We live because of Him. Everything now is connected to Jesus. You know how some people say, Sports is my life, right, or music is my life, or my wife is my life, or flamenco is my life. You know, people say those things. I, I, I knew a guy who, um, this is back in Ukraine, who would say, jazz is my life. So jazz is my life. I got to know him a little bit, and he would talk about his life, and he would say, you know, every morning and every night, I, I practice Gershwin on my trumpet, I, just, I, I do that my children hear me play this beautiful music. Now, I also happen to know that he wasn't working, and so the children could listen to music, but they had very much, you know, not very much to eat at the time. I also knew that he would just take off and go to jazz festivals, and he, he, would, he would compromise his family, would neglect his family, because he thought his pursuit of jazz was so noble and so worthy that other things had to take backseat to that. Now, I'm not saying he didn't love his family, But he clearly, in his life, prioritized jazz over everything else. And so for him, the best thing he could do was to practice. The best thing he could do was to go play somewhere. The best thing he could do was to go listen to other jazz musicians. Now, here's a problem. He wasn't that good. (laughs) He He was just not a good musician. He was okay. I mean, he would go and jam with people, but he could never perform. And so you look at and you say, okay, so your whole identity has been wrapped up into this. Playing your trumpet. Playing this kind of music. You've neglected all these things in your life. This is your identity. And now what? What do you do? What, if you do, what do you do if, if it doesn't fulfill you, if it doesn't lead to anything? This noble pursuit doesn't lead anywhere. What do you do? I don't know what happened to him. I don't really want to think about what happened to him because there's no other way but disappointment. There's no destination but be completely disillusioned and say, I've committed my life to this and it hasn't worked out. I don't have the gifts. I don't have the opportunities to do this well. But when we think about Christ and when we say Christ is my life, he can deliver on those promises. You see, for our identity to be sustained by something, it has to be big enough. Who's bigger than God? For our identity to be sustained moment by moment, it has to be something personal. It has to be something that matters to us. Maybe somebody in a relationship with us. That's Jesus. A person who is able to be in a relationship with every person in his people. A person who's big enough to create your identity, to sustain it, to maintain it over time partial fulfillment along with lots of destruction in other parts of your life is the best case scenario if you pursue other things outside of Christ there's nothing that is big enough to sustain a full identity except for God himself no person is big enough to sustain a full identity except for God himself why do I say that so confidently because we're made a certain way We're made to be satisfied in God. We're made to live a certain way, and only in God we can do that. Because of who Christ is, because of what he has done, he can be our life. I may like flamenco, I may like jazz, I may like sports, but I dare not wrap my life up in that. There's just not enough of it to satisfy But if I wrap myself up in Christ and say, He is my life, He defines who I am, I can pursue all sorts of other things and they are put in their proper place. Now, I am not saying that everything in your life has to be overtly churchy, religious, and spiritual. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that Christ needs to permeate all of your life, all your pursuits, and define those pursuits and reshape them. And yes, some of those pursuits you will reject for His sake. And some of them you will embrace to the fuller degree for His sake. Because He is our life. He defines it. He's at the center. And here's another mark of, of this authentic in-between life as we're trying to, to work out our identity. He's our life. And because He is our life, there's tremendous confidence in our lives. He will not leave us, nor can anything happen to Him. Our life is totally secure in Him. Now, when Paul says it's hidden with Christ in God, it's hidden with Christ in God, you can take it negatively and say that's something that's just kept away, right? Something that nobody can see. Or you can take it positively and say it's protected. It's kept safe. It's kept secure, now, I love this verse. This has been so meaningful to me in times in my life where my identity was stretched or challenged. Going back to this verse and saying, This is who I am. In Christ, with God. I'm with Him. I'm hidden with Him. So nothing can touch me. My identity is completely secure in God. Think about it. Is there a safer place in all creation than God Himself? And God says, This is where I'm going to hide your identity in me. Nobody can touch it. Friends, if you are in Christ, hold your head high. You are something in Christ and that identity is protected and it's kept safe and secure in God Himself, God guarantees that He will keep you who you are. The the death and the resurrection make you this new creation, right? Restores that identity of someone made in God's image. That image is being restored in your life even now. And God says, I'm going to hide it in me. So this will never change. And nothing can touch who you are. In Christ. Nothing and no one can change who you are in Christ. You are God's beloved. Friend, soak that in, okay? Hear what I'm saying. You are God's beloved. This is what God says about you in Christ. And He says, I'm gonna hide this truth in me so that nothing can challenge it. So when somebody is criticizing you, who are you? Are you who they say they are? No, you are who God says you are. And it's hidden in God, and it's protected and secure, and it can't be touched. You have a purpose. You have meaning. You are not worthless. Whatever other people tell you, you're not worthless if you are in Christ. Because Paul says your identity, this new life, is hidden and protected. Nobody and nothing can touch it. If God justified you, If God said, you are acceptable to me, the most holy person talking to a sinner, saying, you are acceptable to me, who can condemn you? Who can accuse you? Who knows you better than God? Who has better arguments to accuse you than God? And God says, I will not condemn you. You are justified in Christ. There is no condemnation for you because you are in Christ. Your guilt has been atoned for. That's that's a religious word we use that says that it's been taken away. Somebody paid for it. Somebody covered it. Your guilt has been cleansed away. You're not guilty anymore. You can't think of yourself as a guilty person because God doesn't think of you as a guilty person. Your sins have been forgiven. God is not saying to you, I still hold a grudge against you. God doesn't say that in Christ. God says, you are fully acceptable to me in Christ by grace. You are mine, part of my family. You have been raised with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. You are seated at the right hand of the Father with Christ, where all the spiritual blessings are available to you now. You are seated with Christ at the right hand of God, the possession of power and authority and nobility. That's where you are. You are kings and queens in his kingdom. This is how God defines your identity. It's not me doing this. This is not you just trying to pump yourself up. No, this is God saying this. In Christ, you belong at the right hand of the Father. The weirdest thing in Scripture, we are called the church of the firstborn. How, that doesn't make any sense. How can all of us be firstborn in God's family? Somebody has to have been born first, Jesus. Jesus being the firstborn, the position of authority, the Son, and in Him, every one of us is a firstborn child. With all the privileges, with all the promises, with all the love of the Father. All firstborn. How can it be? In Christ, it's possible. Nothing can touch this identity. No accusation, no failure, no suffering. Hear me now. No suffering No accusation, no failure can touch who you are in Christ. It's been determined by God, and God says, I'm hiding it in me. Who is stronger than God? Nobody. No human being, no angel, no demon can touch that. They cannot destroy who you are in Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Even death cannot change that. What are we most afraid of? Well, death. Death. And Jesus, on that resurrection morning, says, what's up, death? Right? (laughs) What's up? Where is your power? There's no power in death anymore. And now, Jesus proclaims, your identity is safe. It's hidden. Nothing and no one can touch that. I am safe in Christ. Let me make one final point before we wrap up. This authentic in-between life, is also marked by perspective. Christ is our life. We have confidence that that identity is protected, and we also have perspective. Paul says, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Here's how we are to live out this identity in Christ until he returns. We are to stay focused on things above. Now, sometimes you read a passage like that and you say, well, does that mean our heads are in the clouds? Right? We're, all, we're just only thinking about heaven that is yet to come? I don't think that's what he means. Maybe part of it is anticipation that he's coming. But I think mostly what he means is that we are to live with a different focus. We're to live now. Right? Set your minds on things above now. Do that now. But as you do that, you bring a new perspective, new focus into your life now. We are to root our view of everything in the realities of Christ. We are to see the things that are above because Jesus is there. We're supposed to be heavenly minded. Oh, there's so much misconception about that. We're not heavenly minded because we love heaven. We don't even know what heaven is like. Let's just admit that. It's, just, it's hard to figure out what it's going to be like. We're heavenly minded because Jesus is in heaven. And we have him now. So when I'm thinking about Jesus, I'm heavenly minded. When I'm thinking about things above, that's where Jesus is. So I'm thinking about him. I'm thinking about the realm in which he rules uncontested. And so I'm bringing that reality into my world here below, right? Right? his rule is contested. so I am living as if Jesus really lives as if he really rules as if my identity really is true in him where to live with the right focus, where to focus on things of Christ and then bring them into this life. Now sometimes people say, well that kind of makes you a bad person to live here. I don't think so. In fact, history shows that people who were minded like that, who were thinking about Christ and trying to glorify Him, have achieved some tremendous things in this world. Now, a few weeks ago, my family had a chance to visit the Georgia Aquarium in Atlanta. Hotlanta, as I kept saying the whole trip. There's one exhibit that I'm sure everyone is impressed with, Anybody who goes there, is, and if you've been there, I'm sure that's what you're thinking of. It, it's a kind of a tunnel. And so you go, and you have a choice going through that tunnel. You can walk with a crowd of people, it's very crowded there, or you can, you can go on this, this moving sidewalk. You just kind of stand, and it moves you. It kind of twists and turns. And, and so, of course, you know, I'm, I'm getting on the sidewalk. I also happen to have Evangeline in this big stroller, So I'm trying to get, I'm trying to navigate this. I'm trying to get on the sidewalk, trying to keep my balance, trying to make sure I'm I'm right on it because it it does kind of twist and snakes around. So it's a little bit of a challenge for me, but I was up to the challenge and I did it. I'm on the sidewalk and I'm still looking down. I'm still trying to figure out that everything is okay. And then I look up. And this is the point of the exhibit. It's enclosed in glass and there are fish swimming directly over you. There's a whale shark Like just feet away from you, they're like squid and all those those, just the strangest looking things, and they're right there. And if you look up, right, it's an amazing experience. Of course, everybody instantly, including me, pictures. Right, we're taking pictures because it doesn't happen unless it's documented. (laughs) So you're looking up and you see in this 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 world, this marvelous world of the ocean. If I kept looking down, and I needed to look down somewhat to, to make sure I'm okay, but if I kept looking down, I would have missed the whole thing. The point of the sidewalk is not to stay on the sidewalk. The point is to bring you into this tunnel so you can see what they're showing you. Now, as I'm looking up, everything works. The sidewalk is designed to do what it's doing to help me see. So it's taken me where I need to go so I can see more and more fish. Now, this is the Christian life. As you're looking up, you're looking at what you're supposed to be looking at, the realities of Christ, your new identity hidden in God, working it out in your life. And if you look down, you miss all of that. If you look up, you're still going to be okay on the ground. This is the authentic life. That happens between Christ's resurrection and ours. Set your minds on things that are above where Christ is. Only with his perspective we can see everything else in its right place. Now, this is so important to say that it gives us a different worldview, gives us a different perspective. When you look at it from Christ's perspective, you're saying, I belong with him, I'm gonna look at things as he looks at things. All of a sudden, you feel like your life fits together the way it's supposed to. Now, does it magically get easier? No, (laughs) it doesn't. But you kind of know what's happening. You have the main pieces in place. You can figure out the rest as you work through it with Christ by your side. If you keep focus on him, everything else is put in its right place. Listen to how C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis, the great Christian writer, He wrote this book, Mere Christianity, and he concludes this book with this paragraph. Give up yourself, and you will find your real self. Lose your life, and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your your ambitions and favorite wishes every day, and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being, and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have, have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find Him, and with Him, everything else thrown in. What he's saying is that If we just look to ourselves for our identity, this will not lead us to our true self. But if you look to Christ, that your mind's on high, you, you look to Him to define you, then you will discover that you have found the truest version of who you are. That you will discover your deepest identity. This is what Lewis is saying. That's what Jesus taught. This is what we see in this passage. Your true identity is in the risen Christ let me finish with this you know <clears throat> when I would do notes for sermons and most of you have them in your bulletins and, and the challenge is always to summarize a sermon in one sentence and I think I said something like your true self was found in the risen Christ which is true it's a good summary but if I were to do something more adventurous and more controversial this is what I would have said I think the whole sermon can be summarized with these five words You do you, boo-boo. You do you, boo-boo. I got nobody following me on this. All right. We'll go back to the C.S. Lewis quote. What I mean is, this is what the kids say. I should not assume everybody knows what the kids say. What it means is that be who you already are in Christ. Consistently work out your identity in Christ. Become who you already are. That's the Christian life. All the theology that's been written, I've been able to summarize it in five words. <laughs> you be who you are. You become who God made you through his death and his resurrection until Christ returns and your identity will be will be proclaimed to everyone. In creation. Now, how do we maintain that identity? How do we keep focused on Christ? One of the ways we do that is by taking communion. We take communion every Sunday. We come to the table. We get to refocus on Christ. We get to remember what He has accomplished. We get to meet with Him, have our faith nourished and renewed. So today we'll come forward in celebration. Usually there's reflective music and we kind of try to Try to create an environment where you can meditate and, and maybe confess and maybe think about quietly what we've been talking about. today we're we're celebrating. So the music is going to be upbeat, it's going to be louder. And so as you come, come singing loudly, come dancing, come come celebrating that the Lord has done this marvelous thing for you. that has given you a new identity in Christ. And now you get to live it out. So you come and you renew that at the table. If you're a believer, you're welcome here. You don't have to be part of this church. If you're a believer in Christ, you're following Him, your identity has been changed, you have this new legal identity in Christ through His death and resurrection, come and be with us at the table. If you're not a believer, I ask you not to do it because other people are doing that. Be authentic, right? But go to Him. Go to Christ. Embrace what He has done for you. I, I pray that that happens with you today. That as you heard the gospel, as you heard this good news that Jesus died and rose for you, you respond to it by saying, yes, that matters to me. That's my identity. I finally know who I really am, as beloved of God, as his child, part of his family, as a king or a queen in his kingdom. And so you come and you embrace that through Christ. Not because you have done something, but because he has done everything. We're going to come forward, and you can take communion right here, or you can take it back to your seats if you'd like. If you're on the balconies, you can just come where you are. There are tables set up there. If you cannot move forward, we'll be happy to bring it to you. So just raise your hand, and one of the elders will, will bring it to you. We do not want you to miss out on that. So let us pray, and then we'll sing and take communion. Father, we praise you for the resurrection of Jesus. We praise you that you gave us this new identity, really our identity back through Christ. Thank you that you have accepted us in him, that we are your children, that we are accepted and forgiven and given new purpose and meaning and joy. Thank you that in you our identity is protected, that it's kept safe, that nothing can touch that. I pray that you would teach us how to work it out, how to live in this in-between time authentically, consistently with who we are in Christ. Pray, Lord, that as we come to the table, that we will rejoice because we get to celebrate what God has done for us. Holy Spirit, would you come and move in our hearts and change our focus if it needs to be changed and fuel our joy towards you? Would you help us apply this truth? Would you help us to to live out this identity even now as we come to the table? Father, we confess that often we pursue other identities. We don't want to do that. We know that what you are giving us is ours by birthright. This is who we are. And though we have lost it, you have now restored it to us through Christ. Let us embrace it fully. Let us live it out in the power of your Spirit. The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper,